Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the finest service organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. Hi, I'm Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have a really awesome guest here today. And let me tell you a little bit about him. His name is Gilbert Moore, but call him Gil. He is the senior advisor in the Office of Community-Oriented Policing, COPS for short, uh, for the U.S. Department of Justice. We'll talk about that. And he is also the host of The Beat, uh, which I know you can find on Apple Podcasts and a couple other places. But before we get into that, Gil, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with your folks. So thank you for uh, looking us up and giving us this opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. And we're going to have a a great conversation. But first off, I want to know how somebody gets to be a senior advisor for the Office of Community-Oriented Policing at the Department of Justice. That's a a long mouthful right there. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And so my first inclination is to say it's too complex. Just wait for the movie to come out. But (laughs) the reality is that there might not be a movie. So for me, I mean... Maybe on Netflix. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe some of your listeners will appreciate this. I came to the Department of Justice cops office as a PIO almost initially, right? Mm-hmm. So um, at that particular time, didn't have any real experience with law enforcement. I had been working in radio and you know a little bit of television, but I do have a radio face. So I had been doing that for a number of years. And then when I came to the cops office, it became apparent really quick. If I'm gonna talk about this stuff and contribute to the discourse that's going on within the law enforcement community, I need to know what the heck I'm talking about. And so from that point on, you know, I immerse myself. Uh, obviously, you know, we have a lot of conferences. We're dealing with a lot of issues that uh, are, are, are replete throughout American law enforcement yeah. and just yeah. exposure to those things, talking with officers, talking with chiefs, talking with first line supervisors, commanders, understanding the issues that they face. Um, kind of got me to the point ultimately where I'm a senior advisor. I don't do the public information stuff anymore, but I really like the podcast because in my mind it's kind of the same fit and feel. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. talking you're talking to a lot of people there, Gil. I mean, yeah, I think you listed off about 10 different positions there. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, that's what it's like. I mean, you know, at one point uh, without going too deep, you know, I used to write speeches for our director and it's like, you know, I'd see stuff pop up and say he's going to talk to a group on port security. I know nothing about port security, so I got to figure it out. Um, but all, all in all, I mean, at this particular point, all that stuff is in the background. And you know, for me personally, I just like being able to support law enforcement. It's a, it's a noble profession. They provide a vital service to our communities throughout the country. And um, being able to be a part of making that better, um, yeah, that, that's something that motivates me day in and day out, regardless of the title. Yeah. Yeah. If it, if it makes you feel any better here where I live in Long Beach, California, I live near, you know, I think if you combine Long Beach and the Port of Los Angeles, the third largest port in the world, and I know nothing about port security. So. (laughs) Well, you know, that's one of the things about law enforcement and, and you see that in our podcast, there are so many topics, you know, if you talk about, well, what policing is about, it's about, just about everything that society is about in some way or the other. Obviously, you know, 
there's specifically the criminal element, but law enforcement touches so many people. And, you know, if you find yourself having a medical emergency tonight, um, don't be surprised if a law enforcement officer is the first person, you know, yep. that's going to be responding. So there are a range of things that uh, we cover and um, you know, port security is one example, maybe not the best, but uh, there are huge things that uh, men and women throughout the country are doing to help protect and serve their communities. And we just want to be a part of making them, um, making it easier for them to do their job. Exactly. It amazes me in the work that I've done with police officers and even the work that I do through, through this show, you know, how many different roles and types of police and law enforcement professionals are out there. I, I never I, I never end learning uh, on that particular front, but let's go back to the beat, uh, which you are the host of. Um, I understand, and, and doing some research, I know you go back to 2010. In fact, in our little conversation before I even press the infamous record button, you had mentioned that there were audio recordings going back to, to 2008. Can you speak a little bit to the mission and the reasoning and the motivation for the beat back in the early days at all. Yeah, well, consistent with the mission of the Department of Justice Office Community-Oriented Policing Services, the COPS Office, you know, we provide grants that support law enforcement and advanced community policing, and we also provide knowledge products. So we realize that there are departments across the country, 15 to 18,000 state and local law enforcement agencies in the country. And each one of them is doing things, for the most part, independent. I mean, you know, obviously there's a state chain of authority and a state uh, set of standards they have to sure. adhere to. But what presents in each community and how a given law enforcement agency, let alone officers, decide to deal with it or respond to those issues, um, there are a lot of variables at play. And so one of the things that we understood was that there are challenges that might be happening in one corner of the country that uh, mimic the challenges that a uh, local police department in another corner of the country are having. And so to the extent that we can share information about some of these persistent issues so that everybody can learn from each other, and to the extent that there are practices that they want to replicate, that's something we want to do. And our podcast, even back then, you know, pre-recession, yeah, were yeah. aimed at introducing concepts, success stories, and various approaches that are at play between law enforcement agencies. So, you know, it's interesting. I talked to a sheriff who was in Southern Illinois, right outside of uh, Paducah, Kentucky. And some of you may remember that Paducah, Kentucky was the site of one of those early school shootings, mass shootings. And at that point, we hadn't seen a lot of that. And so they were interested in standing up uh, a school resource officer program to make sure that officers are in the schools. And talking to him, he was emphatic about saying, you know, our purpose in doing this is not because we have concerns that somebody's going to come up and shoot up the schools, but for us, the school is the center of the community, rural community. So he said, he literally said, you know, we can't practice community policing in cornfield, um, but the football games, the uh, civic events, the social events, just the gathering place where all the parents and members of the community at some point throughout the course of a week or a month they are going to be in proximity to that school. They're going to be touching that school. And for us to be effective with community policing, we need a presence there. And so again, everybody's approach is different. And uh, I think they are all valuable. But that particular story and some of the things that they were doing in that police department, 
we felt could be helpful to other agencies. So we wanted to make sure that those things had a voice so people could understand them. And you know, maybe somebody again in another part of the country could listen to what was being planned in Southern Illinois and they could replicate those things that worked for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Believe it or not, I've actually been to Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, it's been quite a bit. It was yes. in, uh, the days when I, I lived in the Chicago area and used to do a lot of uh, business work around the Midwest. Uh, but you you mentioned community policing. And from the time that the beat started, 08, 09, what have you, to today, yeah, I think that concept has change quite a bit or at least yeah. the perspective on what that could or should be uh has definitely changed quite a bit over the last decade uh what's some of the feedback that you get from your listeners on the the concept of community policing what, what is what are some of the discussions that you're having along those lines so you know there are, are two things that land on me when you ask that question sure and that's number one feedback so from our podcast we get all kinds of feedback. Um, you know, I think I may have explained earlier when we were talking, as a government agency, we don't take a commercial approach to our podcast. Um, but what we do get is people calling and saying, hey, I listened to your podcast. I want to get in touch with the person who you interviewed. Um, or here's an idea. Here's an issue that's occurring in my community. Here's what we're doing. We'd like you to feature it on the podcast because we think it could help other law enforcement agencies. Um, so we get a lot of that stuff. Now, you know, it's interesting when you say community policing, that's a phrase that everybody's familiar with, but what it means differs from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Sure. Um, and so there has been a lot of evolution in community policing, but I got to tell you, the cop's office, we define community policing in a rather specific way. Now a word from our sponsor, the Police Officers Credit Union Association. Coming this October 2021 is the Public Safety Business Summit in Savannah, Georgia, a program specifically created for organizations that serve first responders. What you will experience is a high level of networking and collaboration among like-minded leaders who are in the business of serving first responders. What you won't get are a series of boring lectures with no interactivity, ridiculous golf outings that are only appealing to a few attendees, or a couple of retreaded subjects that you can hear at any credit union league event that are just thrown into the curriculum. We offer an engaging agenda where attendees even help to determine the content during the actual conference based on their unique needs. If you run a business, a credit union, or a nonprofit that specifically serves first responders, then the Public Safety Business Summit is for you. For more information, go to www.policecreditunions.com or call 331-300-9889. We hope to see you in Savannah this fall. Community policing is a philosophy that promotes organizational strategies that support the systemic use of partnerships and problem-solving techniques to proactively address the immediate conditions that give rise to public safety issues such as crime, social disorder, Right. And so that's a lot of words. But what it says is that, or at least what I, I would hope people see as the takeaway is that it's a philosophy that promotes organizational strategies. Right. And so a lot of people have different perspectives on that. Right. So um, really, you can use community policing in ways that a lot of people might not associate community policing. So let's talk about intelligence mechanisms, understanding where crime disorder occurs in the 
community, understanding where the, the, the vulnerabilities of your community is. A lot of people wouldn't consider that community policing, but if you know that information, you're better able to, um, I guess, prevent crime, you're better able sure. to react to it, and you, you, you can, as a law enforcement agency, be more effective. And so that's something that we think is great, this idea of partnerships. I mean, obviously law enforcement is a tough job, and law enforcement agencies and their officers, they can't do it all by themselves, no matter whether or not we think and, and, and we treat them as heroes. The reality is, you know, when they start dealing with things like domestic violence, mental health issues, and all kinds of issues that might be um, a result of socioeconomics or socioeconomics, those kinds of things require help. And, um, you know, those partnerships with other service providers, partnerships with certain sectors of the community, the business sector, I mean, those things are very important in being effective. And one of the things we hear all the time is that, you know, law enforcement officers, they have a certain set of tools available to them for the most part. And their tool belt isn't expanded until you develop these partnerships so they can, you know, build off ramps for some of these things. Um, and particularly when it comes to areas, issues like domestic violence and, and mental health issues. I mean, officers all across the country are responding and many of them will tell you that those are among the most dangerous calls that they face. Um, and what do they have in their tool belt? They have the power of arrest. And in all cases regarding domestic violence and mental health, that might not be the best approach, but it's what they have, so it's what happens. But imagine the possibilities, you know, if there are mental health service providers, if there are domestic violence resources at play, and they can throw those things on the table, everybody benefits. And um, to the extent that our podcast covers issues and brings light to those kinds of programs, we're really proud about being able to make that contribution. Yeah, I know that the community policing has different definitions in, in different people's minds. Um, and, and there's obviously a, a lot of, um, let's say, uh, very passionate opinions uh, in yes. a number of different areas. Yeah, the way that, that I approach it is is I'm all for change you know, in, in policing especially if that means that more officers are going to have a higher probability to go home to their family safely exactly. um, and, and keep the community safe, of course. But, uh, um, you know, from a community standpoint, I've never been a police officer, but I've, I've talked to thousands in, in different veins, and they will all say, especially the ones that are really good, will, will tell their stories, and I'm sure you've heard the stories as well, but we'll tell their stories and many times we'll talk about a, a crime being solved or a problem coming to a positive end because of their relationships with the community. Yeah, whether it's um, like, for instance, my good friend, Darren Birch, who does the Badge Boys podcast, you know, he did Crime Stoppers for, for a number of years in the Phoenix area, uh, or something on a very basic scale, like a police officer I know in New York that was dealing with an issue and, and went right to the grocery store owner and was able to get the exact information that he needed in order to stop the problem before anybody was even brought into a station. Um, so I, that to me is community policing, is, is those relationships on the ground. Um, and I think that, that that's what we need to, to get back to. 
Is that what you're seeing in community policing today, or is it much more of a, say, a formal and scientific way of trying to create this community policing and create these relationships out there? Well, you know, again, with 15 to 18,000 state and local law enforcement agencies out there, it looks very different. And so in some cases, it's very formal and it's systematized. Um, And in some cases, it's just plain gritty elbow grease by by an officer wanting to make a difference. You know, and I have stories that I could tell you forever, and I'll try and be quick with this one. Um, It's been a while. We've got got time. Tell the story, man. All right. right. (laughs) So in central Ohio, there was a law enforcement agency in Royal City, and in this particular city slash town, there were... um, a lot of strong arm robberies of senior citizens. And um, the bottom line was that, you know, in so many cases in policing, these crimes will take place when there's no presence, when there's no law enforcement presence, right? And so, you know, repeatedly, the cops are coming out there, responding to a call for service, taking the report, and their capacity or ability to catch the criminal was limited because they didn't have enough information. Well, you know, there was also a high school nearby um, and so I think the belief was that some of the high school students may have been involved in this. And, you know, deciding to um, avoid as much conflict as possible, but sure. also address yeah. the crime. And this particular officer, sergeant, at one point, he just keeps reading all of these reports. He's like, that nah, something's got to change. You know, and this is what I mean about elbow grease. So he goes out and he goes knee deep into this thing. And what he really ends up finding out is that these senior citizens who are getting robbed are essentially in um, a senior citizen's development that's across the street. They're walking across the street to go to the ATM to get money out. And, you know, sometimes there were issues with the sun and, you know, some of the people who were a little bit older and maybe um, had some cognitive challenges, they were asking for help with the pin number and the whole bit, right? So all this stuff, and they were getting the money and then they crossed the street again where they walked to the bus stop and they were getting on the bus and taking it I don't know, maybe 10, 15 blocks to a pharmacy because the supermarket didn't have a pharmacy. So taking a 10, 15 blocks to a pharmacy so they can get the prescriptions and they come back. And all along that route or the continuum of activities, um, they were becoming victims. And so he did something very simple, which I think is a great example of community policing. I mean, he looked at the information that he had, he figured out what was going on, and he essentially decided that he was going to call the bank um, and asked the bank to put an ATM machine inside the, uh, the building where most of the seniors live, right? Taking away the opportunity. He called the transit company. He said, hey, just in case, let's put the bus stop right in front of the main entrance to this facility where everybody lives. And then he called the pharmacy and he said, you're getting a lot of business out of that. You need to start making deliveries. I mean, that's simple. The crimes went away. Um, and obviously they didn't have to go toss the high school. So everybody benefited. And I think that's a you know, very basic fundamental here is community policing. It's just a way of thinking. And in some places, again, it's community policing unit, officers who may be designated with making sure that their police department is building or getting the most out of the relationship between the police and the public. And in some cases, you know, it's uh, again, it's the use of technology, it's you know, crime mapping knowing where the hotspots are, understanding what's going on, so therefore you can deploy your enforcement resources appropriately. And all of those things are, in fact, in my mind, community policing. Um, you know, there's a report that used to come out of the Justice Department about every 10 years. I haven't read it in a while. But, 
you know, it was a very interesting stat. And it was that 64% of American law enforcement agencies serving 86% of the population engage in community policing. So those are some pretty big numbers. And I think what you're alluding to is that those 64% of law enforcement agencies, they do it very differently. And, you know, that's okay. But again, consistent with the focus of our podcast and some of our other knowledge resources, we want to be able to say, hey, here are some approaches that you should look at because chances are there's another law enforcement agency somewhere in the country that's had these challenges and take a look at what they did. It might be something yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the every every good cop that I've talked to, you know, said, yeah, I I am able to to take care of issues, you know, without any brutality and without any arrests before it even becomes to that uh, or comes to that, I should say. No matter what agency that you go to, there are officers that are doing the job. They're doing it right and they're working hard. And they're using their minds. They're being innovative. And so to the extent that the law enforcement agency can structurally support them, again, it works better for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's get back to your podcast, The Beat. Uh, it's been around for a long time in one way, shape, or form. You know, what can we look forward to? What are some of the new episodes, some of the new topics? What are you planning for the future of The Beat? So, you know, to look forward, first, I want to kind of emphasize some of those things that I think are really great that we've done in the past. Um, you know, if I just look back at this year or the past year, you know, we've done a series on officer safety and wellness. Um, we ended up speaking with uh, an officer from Texas. He's a captain, but he also happens to be a cardiologist, a practicing cardiologist. And, you know, he talks emphatically about the fact that the statistics when it comes to heart disease for officers are, are pretty dire. You know, the average age for, of an officer who does have a heart attack is 47 years old, which is far younger than the general population. And, you know, he spells out some very helpful information. Go get these two specific tests, which he names. And when you get these two tests, which sometimes they're covered by insurance, but if not, it's $50. They will go a long way in helping each individual understand the potential risks they are for heart disease. And if they're down that path somewhat, it will start the process of them offloading, um, offloading that risk of heart disease. Tremendous podcast. We also talked the same, same series. We talked with a, a police psychologist who actually counsels officers. You know, one of the things that over the most, uh, the current years has become a real issue of focus. And that's the realization that Officers face so much emotional stress, right? That keeping things in balance is not easy. And um, to the extent that we have to look at this issue, we should look at it and understand that, you know, the stigma has to really go away. I mean, just the job itself, the, the shift work, the, you know, being removed from your family to a certain extent, having the pressure of society on you at all times, even when you're off. Um, that these things cause challenges and these things uh, are, are issues that would benefit from services. And so we talked to that particular person. And we also had a conversation with a park ranger, a Utah park ranger, great guy, really great guy. Brody uh, shot in the line of duty nine times in one incident. Uh, and he talks about it. He talks about that incident, um, you know, and it's a heartbreaking story. Um, he talks about it from a tactical perspective. He talks about it like, you know, what it meant to him personally and how he dealt with it, the impact on his family, the impact on his agency, 
those things that he learned. And quite frankly, the, the, the beautiful part of it is that he's back on the job today. And so he was able to incite or impart that information. So, you know, those three podcasts, very proud of them. Um, we've had uh, some great podcasts. We just recently did one in recognition of Black History Month. We did three, and it was the perspective of African-American officers and, you know, some of the views that they may have or may not have, quite frankly, um, on everything that we saw last spring, last summer, in response to the social justice movement. Um, you know, we had a podcast where we featured an officer resiliency program that was being tested out in Indianapolis and how it had worked wonders for some of the officers there, just helping them, again, find balance in the topsy-turvy profession in which they work. Um, and we're going to keep going down that road. I'm really proud of one that we have. It'll be released um, March of 2021, and it is uh, with uh, Kathleen O'Toole, who is the most decorated female police chief in the history of America. And she talks about current issues in policing and her story and her perspective, and I think it's something that everybody would want to hear. We did that in recognition of Women's History Month. Um, I personally, throughout the field, I have some law enforcement heroes, and um, two of them, I'm really pleased that we're able to talk, but we were able to talk with the, the former chief of the Tulsa Police Department, Chuck Jordan. I, mean, I don't want to give it away, but he's an outstanding man. If you listen to that podcast, you will be impressed. And also Sheriff Mike Titwood in Florida. Here he is a Philly cop, you know, and everything that goes with that. He goes to the deep south, and uh, funny enough, his, uh, his acceptance level is through the roof. I mean, this is a guy who is uh, endorsed by the NRA and the NAACP, which in and of itself tells you that he's <laughs> a unique figure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough feat. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the questions. How do you walk that tightrope? But I mean, yeah. again, you know, in the discussion, you know, while that's a point that is brought up, the answer is what we all learn from. Um, and I think that's, again, what we try and do with our podcast, you know, give people something that they can relate to and identify with, but also impart some information that they can take away and help, uh, again, make their jobs easier or make their performance more effective. Yeah, I've had the pleasure of listening to to a couple of your shows and they've always been spot on and I'm going to look forward to the ones that you mentioned where here at the POCOA and public safety talk radio, we're all about soundness. Yeah. So yeah, if we could provide more soundness um, to our law enforcement professionals out there, um, we're all for it. And uh, you mentioned you are proud. You, you've got a reason to be proud. You're, you're putting together a, a great show, great content uh, with, with a lot of open ideas and discussions, which is what I think we need right now. We want to put this information out, but in the world of podcasting, you're competing for people's time. So you've got to be interested. Regardless of what information you want to impart, the bottom line, if people don't make it past five minutes, they're not getting the message. And so we try and do some things, and it is interesting. One of the things that we found, we just stumbled on, actually, I'll give credit to Jennifer Donlin, who is the host. Um, at a certain point, she just started asking people how they got into law enforcement. And bam, we talked about feedback. I mean, yeah. the answers that we have gotten humanize the guests, and it creates an opportunity for people to listen and laugh and say that was me you know we did this one podcast and i think it's titled the seven habits of unsuccessful police departments <laughs> um and 
the, the, the gentleman who we were interviewing, very stoic, very straightforward. I mean, uh, not the kind of person that you would anticipate would have a whole bunch of personality. And he just says, hey, I was a young teenager. I was hanging out doing all kinds of crazy stuff, drinking with my friends, cop rolled up on us. And, you know, he made us pour out our stuff, dump our illicit stuff. And he also said, tomorrow, you're coming on the ride along with me. Mm-hmm. And he went on a ride along and, you know, the, the, the guest says, hey, from that point on, I was hooked. I mean, the questions of uh, you know, the guy Brody Young, the park ranger who was shot nine times, I asked him, well, what made you become a park ranger? He said, I was a hippie. I knew the other side of the law and I needed a job. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, we're talking about people, you know, and uh, it's a profession and there are lessons, but again, bottom line, we want to make it interesting as possible for all of the people so that they can laugh, smile, and, and, and learn something at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I always, uh, as some of my audience knows, I cover uh, true crime for Podcast Magazine. And I truly believe that many of those podcasts do not, are not only entertaining, but do a service to society by keeping some of these cases alive. Um, yeah. Some of them have been solved because of the work of some true crime podcasters out there. Uh, but as I tell all of them, too, a couple of them that, that didn't take to my advice very fondly is I don't care how quality of the audio and everything else that you're doing and how deep you go into the case if you're boring <laughs> and not entertaining you're not helping anybody <laughs> That's right. yeah if a tree falls in the forest and nobody sees it or hears it did yeah. it fall I'm one of those people who says no but you know we're mindful of that I mean and, and some topics you know they are more interesting than others. Um, You know, some of them are things that, uh, you know, represent niche issues, like we did something on drones. Great topic, really interesting, but, you know, I must say, you know, they're the average patrol officer, that might not be a part of their world. Right. Um, And so we try and, you know, again, add balance, add spice, and help our listeners understand how what we're talking about applies to them, right? So if you're pushing a patrol unit and you spend your whole day going from call to service to call to service, and we start talking about drones, that's the kind of thing that might make you um, listen to something else or do something differently. But when we start talking about the fact that, hey, using these drones will help improve your safety, um, you know, and then, you know, go through a little bit of humor about how many people have surrendered to drones and what do you do in that case? <laughs> I mean, just whatever. But again, try and make it something that's relatable for all of our yeah. listeners. Yeah, and it, it definitely is relatable. The The last question that I have for you, which is an important question for all of our listeners out there, how can they best find the beat out there? Well, so I'm going to give you two ways to do it. Um, the first way is just to go to any search engine uh, search on COPS Office or USDOJ COPS, um, and our website will come up. But on our website, there are several ways that you can navigate to our podcast. And a lot of them are easy to identify, like the big little label that says podcast. You know, click on that thing and you'll get to our podcast. Um, and the other way is just to be specific, usdoj.cops.gov. All of those things will get you to our podcast. And, you know, if people do come to our site and they listen to them, please provide feedback. You know, we have um, an email address and people can let us know what they think. They can suggest ideas and all of that stuff is helpful to us. But while you're there, also taking advantage of some of our other resources. We have a video series called What's New in Blue. 
Um, that's interesting. We don't get to do as many of those as we do with podcasts, but everybody consumes information differently. And for mm -hmm. those people who need it in video format, we have that. And then again, these knowledge-based publications on various issues, everything from working with immigrant communities to uh, how to plan for mass events. Um, and I think we have a lot that can inform the field. And again, we're continuing to grind and do our job. Uh, and right now, since we're talking about the spring of 2021, you can also go to our website and find out about our grant funding uh, opportunities. There's a program that the department is interested in. They want to bring on additional officers. We have grants that support all of that stuff, and we have several of them. So I would encourage them to go and take a look at all of that stuff and see what it is that we have that can be helpful. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome on so many levels. The grants, the videos, and especially the show. Um, for all of you out there, when you're not listening to Public Safety Talk Radio, you should be listening to the beat out there. Uh, Gil, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, my pleasure, and, and thank you for giving your listeners the opportunity to hear from us and to learn more about us. And you know, you're doing some great work, so we see you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, and it was my privilege. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listen to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio, and we'll be back with you next week with another great episode. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement, as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.